Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Fire Science Show. Before we start, let me first reflect on the state of the podcast. It's been two months since we've started and it so far has been quite an amazing journey. Uh, it seems that the podcast has created its own audience now and I'm really thankful to all of you listening and I'm very thankful to all of you reaching out to me in emails, in private messages. They're like really nice and push me forward doing that. Some special shout out goes to Andrea White and Jeff Harrington who seem to be sharing every single episode and I'm really glad you guys are doing that because it definitely attracts more people to the podcast and thanks to all of you re reaching out. For the today's episode, I'm going to talk on a subject uh, very fundamental to the fire science. It's going to be about measuring temperatures and why you may consider it as probably one of the easiest measurements you can do in fire science, but at the same time one of the hardest ones to interpret. I always wanted to create this kind of a lecture for master's students in fire safety engineering as an introduction to how varied and wonderful the world of fire science really is. Because in fact the temperature measurements are something that touch almost every single aspect of our discipline. My three main motivations for doing this were first, Literally everyone is using that, from thermogravimetric analysis through compartment fires to measuring the outcomes of fires. We use temperature to communicate. We use it to define conditions and the criteria to assess the safety. We define tenability with it and we literally measure it in every single fire safety engineering analysis. So it truly is overcompassing the fire safety engineering the second thing is uh, sometimes we forget about the context and we just communicate the temperature values. And as I will show in the episode, sometimes without the heat transfer context, the temperature is meaningless. The final third thing is that often in the media, in the communications outside of fire science, you hear these statements that the flames had the temperature of 1200 centigrade or that the temperature in the compartment was enough to melt steel. Well, yeah, the flames do have high temperatures, but that does not necessarily mean everything around them would be melted. That's a heat transfer problem, not measurement of temperature. So, yeah, let's go into the wonderful world of measuring temperatures in fires. But yeah, first, let's spin the intro and then let's go into the session. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wingzinski, and I will be your host. So, welcome back to the wonderful world of temperature measurements. As I've mentioned in the intro, we're going to discuss why temperature is fairly easy to measure, but quite tough to interpret in fire science. And uh, I've listed myself, let's say, five biases. Uh, I'm very inspired by the episode with Mike Kinsey about biases, so I'm looking on everything through biases now <laughs> after that episode. So, so I've listed five things in which... I think we may do some errors, willingly or unwillingly, related to how temperatures are 
measured, analyzed, communicated. And these this five things are that, first, we sometimes focus too much on temperature values and thresholds, not on phenomena that are creating these, these effects. The second one, we perceive the increases of temperature as linear, so while there are very, very non-linear and the heat fluxes associated to the change of temperature are very non-linear when you plot them on the temperature scale. Um, we very often miss the differences in temperatures of, of elements in, in solid and gas phases. And uh, the modes of heat transfer that are dominant in these phases. Then the fourth thing, we miss the conditions and the specification of what was used to measure the temperature. Sometimes the way how we measure this value very heavily influences the value itself. And we need to learn how to interpret this, this reading. And finally, again, to the measurements, um, the, the temperature measurements, especially the ones of the gas phase, usually come very noisy. And this noise is not a feature of the measuring equipment. Is actually related to the physics of what you're measuring. So it has a much deeper meaning and you need to understand that before you flatten out the measurement and uh, just average everything. So yeah, these five things are something I commonly observe in, in my own practice even. So yeah, let's, let's fight them with knowledge. So let's start with what temperature really is. And uh, it's not a... Um, it's not something you can answer very simply and definitely it's very difficult to, to form a definition of what temperature is without defining it, the heat transfer first. When you open the Incorporas heat transfer book, um, the first thing you learn is that the heat transfer is thermal energy in transient due to a spatial difference in temperatures which implicitly means that whenever there's a difference in temperatures, that means a heat transfer will occur. But without touching heat transfer, it's, it's very difficult to measure temperature or define what temperature is. If you go to something like an encyclopedia in Britannica, I found a definition that it's a measure of how hot or cold something is. Well, you cannot be cold. It's an absence of heat. So there you go. Again, <laughs> difficult to define without defining a heat transfer. But yeah, what's most important, the temperature is an intensive property of, of matter, which means it does not depend on the amount of, of the substance. It, it's just the state in which the substance is. And uh, here comes the first bias, because sometimes we consider the temperature of a medium, the temperature of your gas, the temperature of your structure, as a surrogate to the amount of energy accumulated in this structure. And this is a very dangerous uh, bias because, because the energy stored in the body is an extensive property and it will depend on the mass of the body, on its uh, thermal capacity. So you cannot define it simply with temperature without giving the, the context. And then coming back to the definition of incropera, it's that the heat transfer is energy in transient due to spatial temperature difference. So if temperatures exist and uh, bodies are in different temperatures, that means they will always exchange heat in one manner or another. So uh, there's always some heat transfer ongoing, especially in fire phenomena. And uh, when heat transfer occurs, 
there are three modes in which it can happen. Conduction, convection and radiation. In conduction, it's related to a temperature gradient over the characteristic length. In convection, it's linear with the difference between uh, two values of the temperatures between the bodies. And in radiation, it's at the fourth power of the temperature difference, but you have also to account that the body is emitting and absorbing radiation at the same time. So in the end, the heat flux is the difference between the two. Then again, every mode of heat transfer has its own coefficient. And these coefficients will impact the heat transfer almost as much as the difference in temperatures between the bodies that exchange the heat. So... You cannot generalize that a body that's heated up to a thousand degrees centigrade will heat up its surroundings at the same rate as anything else at the same temperature, because that simply is not true. Uh, I mean, the world would be very, very simple for us fire engineers if, if it worked like that, but it does not. And more than that, some of the heat transfer modes will be dominant over the others in some certain fire scenarios so you need to be aware of the context of what you're measuring for example if you have walls covered with some very well thermal insulative material um, and you consider fire that is fairly short you may not need to, to go into a very complex thermal analysis of the interior of your structure because the fact there's a, such a good insulator with high thermal resistance prevents temperature reaching the core of your structure, if I may. But then again, the fact that it's such a good insulator means yeah, the surface of that material will heat up very quickly. So it will radiate a lot of heat uh, into your compartment and may actually change the physics of your fire. And that's when you are very interested about the effects of the, this material had on your fire. So here you have the same fire, the same structure, but two completely different fire contexts, in one of which the heat transfer is important and interesting and you're very interested in measuring the temperature, and the other one where you just secured your structure and you might not need to go into such a deep analysis. So you see, even when you just start defining what temperature is, you can already go into some really serious considerations related to uh, how we perceive fires. But that's just uh, that's just a start. So in, in my list of biases, I've listed that we may focus too much on thresholds and some particular values of the temperature rather on the phenomena that create it. And what I've meant that since the beginning of, of science, actually, we have been measuring temperatures and we have been associating phenomena, events to certain values of temperatures. That's how thermogravimetric analysis was born many, many centuries ago. That's how many of the substances we know were discovered by heating up objects and measuring the products of their thermal decomposition and the temperatures associated with this, uh, with this uh, events. So the same goes to fire. There are many things that are very related to temperature. And from my perspective, you have to separate the material effects or material properties from system properties or actually compartment fire properties. When you look at the materials, it's obvious that some things 
the materials happen at certain temperature values. It may be connected, for example, to latent heat, and the most obvious of them is vaporization of, of water, which is at 100 degrees centigrade. And uh, this is a very profound value for fire science, because many materials will show completely different behavior above this point and below this point. And, for example, when you're heating up a gypsum plasterboard and it eventually reaches 100 degrees, you will see very easily when you measure the temperature inside the, the, the board that the value will stop there for a good, good moment. And that's related to the fact that the water inside the material has to evaporate before the material can heat up more. The same goes through materials like concrete. Pretty much any material that uses water to be created with or has some structural water embedded inside but it's not only water. Most of metals will go through some changes at certain temperature points. Um, actually, most of materials will change the properties at certain temperature points in terms of their uh, heat capacity or, or, or conduction coefficients. Um, so we have to account for that when doing our analysis. The next thing, uh, melting points, vaporization, each of these things come at certain at certain values of, of temperature. And um, even things like luminosity, it's also, also related to the temperature at which the material starts to emit uh, electromagnetic radiation inside the visible spectrum. Actually, in the 17th century, Emilie du Châtelet has written a, a very nice novel about fire. And in that she wrote that the all effects of fire, heat and light most strike our senses. And that it was very, emission of heat and light were very connected to the fire itself. And now we know how it works. So yeah, a lot has improved in fire science. Coming back to the materials, all these events, these changes, the phase changes in materials happen at certain temperature points, which means they cannot happen at lower temperature. Well, when you study it more deeply, it may be also associated with other things like pressure when this temperature value changes, obviously. But in principle, it's just a, a temperature that the body must achieve to go through a change. And now when you look at the bigger picture, at the compartment fire picture, at a systematic view over the, the compartment fires, um, there are these events that are associated with the temperature. Things like a flashover, things like ignition or spontaneous ignition. Also, in a way, the, the spread of the fire itself is sometimes connected with the ignition temperature. But here, the temperatures are actually surrogates of more complex things, like the heat transfer within the compartment, the critical heat fluxes, or just the accumulation of energy within the body that leads to an auto-ignition. And um, it, it, it was very commonly observed that things like that can happen at various levels of temperature. It's just a matter how long you heat them up. There's a reason why we do cone calorimetry at different heat flux values and measure these uh, things at different exposures to get a bigger picture. So it's not just a temperature value, a threshold temperature that you must breach to create an effect. It's, it's much more complex than that. Actually, very difficult to understand um, if you would like to have a detailed picture, for example, how flashover happens. But then you can simplify that to a certain threshold value of temperature that must be achieved by your system that you're investigating, at which the probability this event will happen is, is very high. 
And with this proxy, it becomes fairly easy to establish if such an event can happen or not. But it's not a direct uh, connection with between the, the temperature, the exact value of the temperature and the event you're investigating. And this interesting point of view of um, the response of a material versus the response of a whole thermodynamic system to a certain heat transfer mode occurring and a certain value of temperature related to these particular conditions uh, within the thermodynamic systems is even more interesting when you start looking at things like flame temperature. In the lectures on fire dynamics in Princeton, Jose Torero has said that flame temperature will be approximately 1400 Kelvin. And he quoted Foreman Williams on, on that. And that's, that's a value that you will get at flame. So, so let's unwrap flame, what a flame is. Flame is a region where the chemical reactions between the fuel and oxidizer go and the chemical reactions yield heat in a very, very tiny, narrow space. The, the size of a flame can be like a hundredth of, of a human hair. So it's actually a very, very narrow space in which a large amount of energy is generated. And when you start calculating the heat released within this chemical reaction. And um, you divide that by the, by the amount of materials that were around that reaction. And in diffusion flames, you will all usually get uh, the burning occurring at the lower flammability level. So it's not going to be a perfect release of heat. You can estimate temperature of the gases that are released in this, uh, in this reaction. And from these calculations, you'll actually get uh, the values very close to the 1400 Kelvin, maybe 1600 Kelvin, but not much more and certainly not much less. So we can consider the flame itself actually has a quite steady temperature. So why we have different temperatures in fires then? Well, because it's a heat transfer problem, not a chemistry problem. If you were only interested in the flame temperatures, you can come to this conclusion. But when you start considering what happens to the flame and how it affects the thermodynamical system of your compartment, the outcomes are really different. They're very interesting for our, uh, for our profession. First, you must distinguish that there will be the flame temperature, which, as I said, will be fairly constant, and there will be smoke temperature, which will be changing with every time the smoke moves by entraining cold air into the mixture. So why the temperatures differ so much in the compartments? Because it's very rare that the flames would encompass the whole compartment. And actually that was the starting point for some very interesting structure fire engineering models. Um, maybe know the model of traveling fires. Uh, it's certainly something that caught my attention some time ago and following the developments in this area very closely and very lucky to work with the Imperial College and some of the big experiments happening in this regime. In the concept of a traveling fire, you have a localized fire that's spanning over a certain part of your compartment and moves through that compartment. And in the original model, the assumption was that in the location where the fire is, the temperature to which the structure will be exposed would be 1200 centigrade. And that was based on a review of previous fire experiments in which temperatures were reported to be between 8 to 1200 uh, centigrade. And as a conservative approach, the, the, the higher value was chosen. 
But Dr. Rakowskaitas observed that virus will not always be in contact with the ceiling. And actually there will be a parts of the ceiling over which the, the flames will extend through, but will not always be present there. She, she has called the phenomenon as, as flapping, fire moving in and out of a, of a part of the, of the structure and has associated a different temperature profile to the area where this, uh, this phenomenon occurs. In further development of this methodology, Dr. Mohamed Haidari has analyzed flame extensions in, in horizontal parts of the flames to propose even more advanced approach to calculate how the, the heat will be transferred to the structure in the flame that is tipping at the, at the ceiling. And uh, actually, it was the first time where the, the traveling fire uh, was defined in terms of heat fluxes, not temperatures, which I certainly consider as an advancement. But both these approaches come to the exact same thing. I mean, the flame temperature is constant, but the flame is not constantly in the same space. It, because of the turbulent nature of the flow associated with natural fires, the buoyancy-driven flow will create this puffing effect. Fire has a frequency. Uh, it will be there in a place for a second or two, and then it will disappear for a second or two. And how often it will do, how far this can be observed from the seat of the of the fire that's determined by the size of the fire. And this is why uh, you cannot just simply connect the flame temperature to the exposure of your structure if you are unsure how often the flame will actually be there. So again, it's not a temperature problem, it's a heat transfer problem. Here we, we have reached another interesting aspect of the temperature discussion, probably my, my favorite one and the one that's maybe the most difficult, the gas temperatures versus solid phase temperatures. And yeah, this... These are difficult things that, which actually effective in the way how we measure temperatures. So yeah, let, let's start with a the thermal bulb. Um, we measure the temperatures using thermocouples. Thermocouples are wires made of different metal alloys connected at the end. Uh, and the resistance of this connection of these wires changes with temperature pretty much linearly. So by measuring the voltage on this uh, device, we can measure the temperature at its end. So it's a beautiful thing, very simple, uh, very repeatable, easy to calibrate, easy to manufacture. I would not say cheap knowing how much my laboratory spends on thermocouples per year. But yeah, compared to other measurement devices used in fire science, thermocouples are definitely cheaper and you see more of them than any other scientific equipment. And when you look at the thermocouples, you quickly notice that they come in different sizes. And the size really matters in here because the bigger the thermocouple is, the bigger uh, bulk it has. It's harder to heat it up and it gives back the heat longer than the tiny thermocouples. So actually, if you use massive thermocouples. They have a certain delay in measuring the temperatures, whereas when you use uh, very tiny, narrow thermocouples, you get almost instant measurements to the extent that your measurements come out very noisy. And when you investigate the results of the experiment, 
you you have to understand the differences between these devices and the fact that actually the, the size will determine the ability of the thermocouple to respond to the changes in the gas phase temperatures. Obviously, this problem is more complex than just simple thermal bulk because uh, these devices will also have a different different convective heat transfer coefficients and that's described in more details in Book of Ulf Fiction on temperature calculations for fire safety engineering, which I highly recommend. In general, the mass will matter. If something has larger mass, it will take longer to heat up and it will give back the heat for a longer period of time when it's cooling down. And now, if you compare a cubic meter of a gas and a cubic meter of any solid body, almost any solid body, usually the differences are in terms of tens or hundreds or thousands and this means that it's very difficult to heat up a block of cast iron or concrete the same temperature as the gas has around it. Because, because to have an equilibrium between the energy stored in these two masses, it's obvious that the gas phase must have significantly larger volume. So there must have been a large amount of gas involved in, in transferring the heat to the structure. And... This this is a trap that we sometimes come into as fire safety engineers because we perceive the temperature in our upper gas layer or in, in just the gas layers or in the, the jets of smoke in our compartments as the temperature of the structure that's encompassing this. And it's not the same thing. It takes time for a structure to heat up because of its inherent properties. And the second problem is that when the fire stops, there might be a lot of energy still stored and being transferred through the structure. So just putting out the, the flames doesn't mean the structure is no more dangerous because it actually it actually may be just before the collapse. This is something that you must consider when you analyze uh, any structural fire problem you can just stop your calculations the moment that the flame stopped the cooling phase is as important as the heating phase or the fire phase now um, transferring heat from gas to the solid phase is a complex phenomenon including primarily convective and radiative heat transfer but the conduction also plays an important role in here in terms of what the temperatures at the surface and at your body will be. In the paper by Torero, Lowe and Malo, they define the thermal boundary conditions for protective structures in fires and discuss different aspects of defining this thermal boundary condition at your walls. Jose says that in current practice, the fire solicitation and its manifestation on the behavioral structure is typically solely defined in the temperature domain. And then they bring up a lot of very interesting arguments why it could be defined in heat flux domain or, or heat fluxes in general. And one thing that I really enjoyed in that paper is how they used the Biot number, which is the ratio between the convective heat transfer coefficient and the thermal conductivity of a material multiplied by the characteristic length, um, that determines which of these uh, properties will matter. For example, if you have a Biot number significantly larger than one, 
then the convective heat transfer will not matter that much and uh, the temperature of the flames and the temperature at the surface of your material will be the same. And in opposite, when the, this number is much smaller than one, it will mean that the temperature gradient in the body itself is almost non-existent. And you can focus on just calculating the temperature outside of your structure and within the structure, the heat will quickly diffuse and uh, you will have almost in uniform conditions. And th this is very far reaching when you start considering structures that are thermally thin and you can read an excellent piece on that from Project Iris. I think it was by Bashir and, and others about the fire dynamics in informal settlements where the fact that uh, they have very thin layers of metal sheets used as, as the structures or the, the primary material they use in the structures, it means that this, this heat transfer mode completely changes the, the flashover conditions or the general compartment fire conditions in these buildings and our, let's say, traditional compartment fire dynamics must be altered to, to cover fire behavior in these buildings. And here, if you just consider the temperatures, use the usual threshold criteria, just focus on this aspect of fire science, you'd probably get to very, very wrong conclusions. Whereas when you consider how heat is transferred in that building, you can truly understand what's happening and why they burn differently from what we see in our buildings. Now, if uh, defining the thermal boundary condition is so difficult, and then you've listened to the episode 10, you know... Uh, that in fire testing, which is a proxy for structural fire safety in, in many parts of the world, um, we define our exposure in terms of temperature. Actually, the temperature time relation that we are using has not been changed for over a hundred years. And it was formed on the basis of temperatures. Um, I, I'm not sure if they had as big uh, overview on the roles of heat transfer in compartment fires as we have today. They, they definitely knew something, but... Uh, we don't have, uh, as John has said in episode 10, there's a bit of missing links in there. Um, today, we are aware of the, the role the heat transfer has in, in fire safety. And we, we just cannot go over that. And in, in, let's say, 50s, 60s, where you had two different furnaces built in two different laboratories using similar thermocouples to measure the temperature, the gas phase temperature in that furnace, they could produce completely different heat flux boundary condition on the tested material. And they could lead to the fact that in one laboratory, a certain assembly would have passed the test and in the different laboratory it would not. And the solution to the issue came with a very interesting concept from Professor Wikström from Sweden, who has created this thing that we call the adiabatic surface temperature. It's not a favorite of many scientists that I know, because uh, in a way it's an abstract concept. But uh, from our perspective, from fire laboratory perspective, it definitely solves some practical issues with fire testings. So yeah, we, we were quite happy with that. The adiabatic surface temperature, um, by definition, is the temperature of a surface that cannot absorb any heat. This is why adiabatic is in the name. Adiabatic means there, there is no heat transfer. So it's the temperature of a body that, that cannot trans transfer any heat anymore. 
to that body. And uh, this temperature can be considered as a weighted average between a radiation temperature and the gas temperature. And will depend on the surface emissivity and convective heat transfer. It's very useful because if you measure the adiabatic surface temperature, and we have these devices called plate thermometers that can be used to measure temperature that is very, very close to the adiabatic surface temperature. It's not perfect representation of the temperature, but it's very close to that. So if you use these devices to measure this AST, you can then define this value of adiabatic surface temperature on an external surface of your solid that is being modeled in a computer. And then, based on the properties of that solid, capture the, the heat fluxes going into the solid. And based on its properties, you, you will capture the, the surface and radiation temperature of that body. And that will allow you to actually solve the heat transfer within that solid. And that's, that's very useful because, uh, as said, gas temperatures and surface temperatures are two completely different things. And you cannot just say that the gas had a thousand degrees and place that as a boundary condition on, on your surface. And on the other hand, if you could do that by measuring the heat fluxes, but, well, measuring heat fluxes is even tougher than, than measuring the temperatures. And boy, that could be, a, that could be another episode. And now we've reached the last part, which is the perception of the changes in temperature. As I've mentioned for a few times, um, the temperature will drive the heat transfer process between different bodies or different materials. And uh, as that, that, the change of the temperature will be very connected to the heat transfer that happens within a medium. But we as fire engineers, we sometimes get lost observing the temperature values in our experiments or in our CFD simulations. And that's something that often happens to me as well. I often I do not appreciate how big change of the heat transfer or heat fluxes in a thermodynamic system happens when the temperature changes by hundred or a few hundred degrees. And these changes are tremendous. They're obviously related to the fact that at some point the radiative heat transfer will always be the dominant one in fires. And this is due to the fact that this heat transfer occurs at the fourth power of the difference of temperatures. And it means that uh, when you have... uh, gas with good emissivity at 100 degrees, it will emit something like 1.1 kilowatt per square meter. When you have the same gas at 500, it's going to do 20 kilowatts. But when it's at 1000, it's going to do 150. So as, as you see, it's, it's far from linear. And actually the, the changes in the heat fluxes as the temperature grows are tremendous. And where's the catch in here? Well, when you, for example, consider the tenability conditions for, let's say, occupants or firefighters, change from 200 to 250 or 300 centigrade at your smoke gas layer, that's going to be a huge change in the heat flux. And this will certainly shorten the amount of time the people can be exposed to that uh, heat flux. 
safely up to a point where they will no longer be able to be exposed to the to the Hiflux at all. And it can be fairly minuscule differences in the average temperature of the gases. As I've said, the jump from 200 to uh, 250 can already change the, the, the conditions inside your compartment from tenable to untenable. Um, when you consider structure, uh, I've previously mentioned from, from work of uh, Rain and Law that um, in the review, the temperatures in compartment fires in, in various experiments performed around the world, they differed from 800 degrees to 1200 degrees. And yeah, there's 400 degrees difference. But once you consider that in terms of heat fluxes, uh, at, at 800 you would have 75 kilowatts, while at 1200 you're going to have more than 250. So that's almost times four. So it's not just a scatter of 400 degrees, that's uh, a scatter of four times the heat flux to which the structure will be exposed to. So that's not longer something you can uh, simply go over. And then that's why so many efforts are being taken to more precisely define the heat flux going to the surface of your structure uh, while modeling fires, even in a simpler model such as a traveling fire is. So you can jump into this bias that a small change in the temperature is a small change in the temperature. And, and trust me, I also get caught in this. I was recently doing an experiment in which uh, in one round we had uh, 500 degrees at a certain point of our model. And uh, in another experiment, we had 600 degrees at the same point. And for us, the, the first time we looked at it, that was like 100 degrees difference. That's not much. But when we started calculating the exposures, when we've started looking at different uh, measurements done in this experiment, the differences were tremendous. And we've observed completely different fire behavior in both of these experiments. And when we looked at temperatures, we could not explain that because that's not a big difference in temperatures. But when we've looked through heat transfer on the same phenomena, you could clearly see how it altered the course of the fire. So something we could not simply interpret with just temperature and the value of the temperature was easily interpretable when we've, uh, when we've done the heat transfer analysis. So, yeah, I, I think the world of measuring temperature is absolutely fascinating and it affects so many parts of, uh, of our discipline and you, it's tricky. I mean, human brain does not work in nonlinear fashion. You may be caught in like misinterpreting what you see or what you measure. So here I can give you four good advices on how to avoid biases when working with uh, temperatures in, in your fire science experiments or fire safety engineering projects. So yeah, all the students, all the engineers, listen up, write it down. First thing, you have to truly consider what you are measuring. Are you measuring gas phase temperature? Are you measuring surface temperature? Are you measuring temperature at rebar inside the structure? Or maybe you're using CFD model and you are simply reading out the temperature value within your control volume. These values, depending on what you've measured, how you've measured, each of them will be different, but each of them will be a manifestation of the same heat transfer problem within your system. So yeah, first figure out what you are really measuring. 
Then the second thing, what is the context of the temperature measurement you're taking? What is the purpose of that measurement? What are the heat transfer modes occurring within your thermodynamic system that lead to this certain value of temperature being shown on your device or within your simulation? This will help you understand what truly is the value of the temperature if that's what you're seeking. Then the third thing, what's the relation between the value you have measured and the observed phenomenon? Is this temperature, for example, related to latent heat of vaporization of a substance that you're observing? Is it relating to a melting point of something? Is it uh, related to a particular threshold you are analyzing? Or maybe you're just measuring temperature because you're monitoring your experiment and here you should focus more on other phenomena going rather than focusing too much on the value that's being shown on your apparatus. And then the final thing, think about what will happen in your experiment, in your simulation, in your analysis if the temperature has changed. What really means that the temperature changed? What happened to your thermodynamic system? What would be the phenomena that would cause different temperature to be measured in your in your system? This exercise will help you gain additional depth on on the thing that you're measuring and observing and will allow you to understand better what truly is happening with your experiment or your simulation. I hope this these four advices once again figure out what you're measuring, figure out what's the context of what you're measuring, what's the relation between the value measured and the phenomena, and the fourth one, what will happen if the temperature changes. I hope this these four advices help you understand your experiments and simulations better and just become a, a better fire safety engineer. And I certainly have to uh, frame them somewhere in my eyesight to make sure I maintain them as well because it's also going to be helpful to, to my engineering practice. So yeah, as Philip Thomas once said in the paper, generalizations are valuable if they are not misused and temperature in fire science is sometimes a very, very thick generalization. It's often a proxy of heat transfer or energy balance, which we could possibly solve, but we did not because we focused on, on measuring the value of the temperature as a manifestation of this phenomena. There's absolutely nothing wrong in measuring the temperatures. It's actually the fundamental to our discipline to do that, to do that properly. And we would not be here if not millions of temperature measurements done in fires in, in the past uh, ages. But yeah, you have to be careful with that. It's not as simple as it seems. And I, I hope you've enjoyed this, this podcast that uh, I, I hope you will look at temperature measurements in a slightly different way today. And uh, when you measure temperature, you will not only just uh, note the value observed, but you'll start thinking about what actually was measured. I hope it helps you in your practice. So thank you very much for being here today with me. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. It was definitely one of the harder public speaking engagements I've ever been involved into. And 
I was long considering if this is a topic for a podcast because it's actually quite hard to explain heat transfer and temperatures without a whiteboard which you can cover with equations. But then again, maybe in this form it was more digestible and may have a actually a bigger impact. I really, I really wish it does. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning into the Fire Science Show. And yeah, as usual, see you next Wednesday. Thanks. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.